Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. You know, to get your voice seen, really, you really should just be like creating stuff and putting it online because we're online like 24 seven. It's like a cocktail party. It's a great way for a lot of people that wouldn't get to see you, see you. And it's a, a good community. I know a lot of people hate Twitter, but I, if you learn to mute it and just treat it as a joke machine and gauge off of doing stuff like that or writing sketches and putting videos up, like that's such a great way for people to see you. Hot breath. Welcome back to the Hot Breathiverse. This is Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and every Monday you are getting access to the most influential minds in comedy. Just last week we had Sam J on here talking about her new Netflix special. This week our very special guest is on here talking about her new comedy album. All of these episodes you've been hearing with us doing Q&As with Kyle Kinane and Dan Soder and Mark Norman, all of these are happening in our Facebook group. So if you want to get involved in future episodes and future Q&As with comics like today's guest, go into the show description, click join the Facebook group, and let's continue the conversation over there because we have no more time for intros. It is now time to get to the comedy goodness. So there is only one thing left to do. And that is inhale a hot breath All right. with Sarah hot breath Tolemash. Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. This is our live Q&A series happening exclusively in our Facebook group. So if you're listening to this later on our podcast or watching this on our YouTube, go into the description, click join the Facebook group to get involved in more Q&As and much more with comics from around the world. And today's guest, I've been a huge fan of for years and it's so exciting. She is finally releasing her debut album, Voluptuous Boy, <laughs> which makes me laugh just thinking it. But please welcome to the Hot Breath of Verse, the one and only Sarah Tolomosh, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Sarah, everyone. Having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for doing this. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah. Let's uh let's make sure we on. I mean, we are on, let's but I want to make into sure. It. I did um <laughs> I made a cool overlay for this for our interview and I wanted to see Oh, really? It's a it's all fancy pantsy. And I think it works. Oh, cool. We're just upgrading. You I know, don't even know what it is. It's What's an um, overlay. I stream using a program called Ecam where you can uh -huh. um you can add like overlay kind of Instead of Zoom, where we're just seeing black, it's like a white border with the show logo and all that. Oh, I got to do that. I keep wondering how all these people are doing it. And then uh, I never ask, so it's good to know. Yeah, this this is the only way I've been able to find. Um, but I think you can do it within Zoom if you pay like the top rate or whatever. But oh. I don't know. It's like I haven't been on stage since March, so I'm like, where can I spend my creativity? You know, so... <laughs> It's been doing this. Yeah, I wish I invested into in Zoom. Uh, I know. They must but, be killing it. 
What have What have you been doing? Because uh, I've seen you've done you've you're doing shows more recently. It mm-hmm. seems like what have you been doing um, to like stay creative, to stay sharp? Like what What have you kind of been doing to spend your time right now? Um. Well. I like making videos, so I do that, sketches, and then, uh, or like short film stuff, and then I got into TikTok, (laughs) and then I would try out jokes on TikTok, and that was effective, so I could kind of open mic it on there to see what was, could gain traction on stage, so it was good, Um, and now they're taking it away from us, apparently, so I'm kind of bummed about it. Will you see it translate? Like if it works on TikTok, does it actually translate when you've tried it on stage? Yeah, it's I mean, it's like I treat it like Twitter and that's how I would try out jokes anyway. It's like I would tweet something, a thought, and then if it got a lot of traction, then I was like, oh, maybe there's something here. And then I just try it on stage. And then generally most of the time it works, but sometimes it's too zeitgeisty that it would only work for about five minutes and then everybody's moved on and there's no point to like do it on stage and then explain something that was so small right six months ago (laughs) yeah i love hearing a grown-up as a as a grown woman in your 40s you're like i'm trying this tiktok thing you know all the kids there's a lot of us on there oh i'm seeing all the comedians it's just funny to see like grown-ups. But yeah, I was just talking to John Reap and he's like, Yeah, I've been on TikTok dancing with my mom. And I was like, All right, internet, okay. Yeah. Um, their algorithm seems to be a little bit more democratic than um Instagram's. Yeah, that seems to be the so big it's, draw. It's like you can make you can have a rags to riches story on TikTok <laughs> more than you can on Instagram. <laughs> Well, how long have you been doing comedy? Um, probably close to 20 years, but I would say, um, you know, on a more serious level, probably the last 10 or 12. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause you started in Houston, correct? Yeah. And okay. it was just different. Meaning like, I don't know, you, you think you're doing it by going on stage once a week with a showcase show every few months or so. And then you're like, Oh, I'm doing it. But then when you move to New York, you're like, you're not really, you're not really doing it (laughs) until you get to like New York. Yeah. When you're like actually working on it, going out every night, um, building a set where, you know, if you're not getting a lot of stage time, I think it's hard to build a set. Yeah. And I didn't realize 20, 20 years, but you've been doing it seriously for 12. Like this is, just now your debut album, you've made several late night appearances and things like that. But what made you feel like you were ready to release an album? Um, well, I had been probably having like my 45 minutes to 55 that I really liked for a while. And then um, I never really thought about it because I always thought about it more in the aspect of like, well, who's going to buy it? Uh, cause I can't eat, you know, it's hard to get seats filled right now uh, where I'm at. So that's, that's where I was at with thinking about it. But then 800 pound gorilla came to me and was like, Hey, would we be interested in doing an album? And then I was like, well, this is as good as time as any, I've been headlining a little bit for a while. I feel comfortable at least attempting to get it on to record it. And then, um, yeah, I was like, why not? And then after I did it, then I was like, I should have just been doing this the whole time. 
So now I regret not working on a, a longer set earlier. What What made you think, oh, I should have been doing it earlier on? Like, how long into your career do you think it's good for a comic to even, like, pursue that? I think as soon as you have, like, 45 minutes that you've been working on for at least six months to a year um, that you feel like is consistent um, in front of a large group of people, uh, I think that's a good time to work on it. And the reason why I kind of regret not doing it, working on an album more often, is that I actually really enjoyed the process and there was something about having an end goal. And I think I would have created more hours um, throughout my career. And it it's an easy D DIY for yourself. Like you can just create your own album and getting it on iTunes and getting it on Sirius. Like you don't need a record label for that. That um, That's a good way to have people share your stuff and then get you know, a larger audience to know who you are and maybe that can get them to come to your shows. So it was just like an enjoyable process, I thought. And what was that process? Like, uh, how many times did you run this set? How close up to the recording date were you still tinkering with the set? Um, so these are jokes that I've probably been doing for the last five years on the road. And, um, there's still some stuff that I didn't feel like doing because it felt dated to me. So I didn't put it on the album, but I think I started really figuring out my set list around in October or November hilarities in Cleveland had offered me to do a headlining gig. Um, I was coming in with Joe, my husband to feature that week. And they said, why don't you come in a day early and headline? So that was really great because I could run it in front of a club audience. And that's when I started. And then I started listening to it. And then I set up a week at the Creek, um, at the Creek in the Cave in mm -hmm. Long Island City. And uh, that one, nobody nobody came, but I just ran it anyway. Like, it's like six o'clock. It's not like a place that a lot of people go to to see comedy. Um, it's just like a great workout room. But just running it and figuring out my order. And I still could kind of determine what I thought had was strong enough and what wasn't. And I was still tweaking it like days prior. And I still feel like even when things are done, I'm always thinking of like how I, I was like, Oh, I probably that joke, probably I could add on more to it. Like things never feel like they're ever done to me. Um, and so I, yeah, I had, so I figured out my set list and I just ran it over and over again. Cause I don't have, I don't get to headline that often because the clubs, because I don't bring in people. So you have to figure out other ways to um, run a set. Like I don't suggest just doing 45 minutes of recording if you've never run 45 minutes before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's in, kind of insane, but that's just me. <laughs> but even if you like, maybe you're at a feature level, but you have 45 minutes, you almost Maybe for a feature weekend, you record every single set and then maybe can piece it together that way. Yeah, you can and you should. But like, I don't know, things are, it's just different. Like, I, I feel like for the longest time I was doing 15 minutes and that felt really good and I felt really comfortable with that. And then I always, when I started doing 30 minutes, I felt like when I was hitting 
the 20 minute mark, you realize the crowd, if you're just like telling jokes with no performance aspect to it, you realize the crowd kind of gets maybe a little bored with you. So you have to, you have to figure out other ways to be captivating. And I feel like walking around the stage instead of staying in one spot inflicting in your voice. And I feel like you only do that. You work your rhythm of your long sets by running it over and over again. Yeah. So I, for me personally, I think it's harder to piece it together chunk by chunk. I rather, like if I was going to shoot a special, I'd like to know that I was running that set almost every weekend for at least a good six months. Yeah. And that is good to know if you saying it's like have a 45 minute set, but then work it out for six months to a year and then record it. It's like the refining yeah. process. Yeah. Cause it's just, I don't know. It's just different to have an audience sit there, be captivated with you for 45 minutes. It's quite different than just doing 15 minutes. Yeah. It's so much more rewarding though. Cause like you feel like you you're building, there's like a rapport and a relationship. It's, I just, uh, I've, I, I've been doing comedy a little over 10 years and I just really started doing more headlining stuff like last year and then like, um, COVID happens, but, uh, yeah. is a completely, <laughs> completely different like game when you, when you have 45 yeah. minutes, you're at first like, can I even talk for 45 minutes? And then the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. But it was like starting over, which is exciting. Yeah, it's a mental game. I feel mm -hmm. like it reminds me of running. Sometimes you want to quit when you're 20 minutes in and you're like, no, you got to keep, you got to sustain this like level of entertainment. It's hard. Yeah, but that's what keeps it, keeps it invigorating though, too. Yeah. Always staying out of your comfort zone, I feel like is, has, has keeps, keeps your comedy sharp and exciting. Whether if you've been doing the same open mic, in a smaller scene, if you've been doing the same open mic every week, like switch it up, like start your own show or go to a different show, like staying out of the ruts, I think really help keep it fresh. Yeah. Like def I try to make a rule. Like every time I go up, I at least try one new thing mm. if it's not an important set. Um, but yeah, that way you constantly are like working or building off of it. And when you, when you're developing material, like what is your, writing process because even just like a word choice of you you talking about avocados and using this word hatch it's i just love word choice and like the specificity between like a laugh and a lull can be that one word and you just using hatch i was like oh sh she like gets into the nitty gritty of like word choice and really how you can paint a picture with a single word so like what is your writing process in developing a, a tight bit um, well, I definitely probably start off with Twitter. So it's an idea and it usually feels like a topic sentence in a, mm -hmm. of a paragraph. And so I generally go off of a feeling that I have. So like, I'll just, for example, the avocado joke, like, I don't know. I just had, I remember one night I'm like, I, the whole time I was walking to my show in my mind, I was stressed that I was like, shit, I have three avocados at home that are like are about to expire. And I really like, I don't want to throw them away and I keep wasting food like that. And then it was making me laugh that it was like taking up so much mental real estate in my mind. And then I thought it would be funny if I just canceled shows so I could just stay at home and make sure I could eat my avocados. So then it felt like they look like eggs and then they, 
and kind of like an incubation. And so I thought of the word hatch and yeah. And I actually really like enjoy doing stuff that way. And that's, that's how it started. So it started off as a tweet. And then when I went on stage, you, I end up like tagging on stage. So I do a lot of my writing as I go up on stage. Cause sometimes when the audience gives you feedback that it feels good, you want to keep writing that wave. And, and then I'll talk that bit until it, I kill it. And then I know where to stop. Oh, I love, it. are you, so are you thinking through when you think, okay, I have three avocados at home. Oh no, I better get back. Oh, this is funny that I'm even thinking this. And then are you like, avocados, avocados, well, they look like eggs. Maybe they hatch. Like, does it come together? Did it come together all as you're walking to the show? Um, yeah. Or just like, you, you know, you just, as you say something on stage, it's just like, if you're in a good mood and you're feeling really funny that night and the crowd is really responsive to you, it puts me in that zone of like just tagging and being thinking of my mind seems to get more relaxed and then it kind of comes to you while you're on stage. And then, you know, in a situation like that, I, you call it mapping. What, what does this feel like to you? And then you use other elements from that comparison and see if it works with what you're talking about. Can you go into mapping more? Yeah, I guess it's a term that you use. Like I learned it in sketch writing and it's like taking one incident and being like, this is a very similar feeling to this other incident. I'm trying, I can't think of an example right now, which is so infuriating. Um, let me see if I have, um, I guess one example, I remember one time, um, you know how girls always have the dilemma of, um, like, am I going to cut my bangs or I'm going to cut my bang? Like, it's a constant thing in our life of cutting our bangs. And I was just thinking how, like, it just seems like a really weird, like a small problem, but it feels like a big problem to us that, so I wrote a sketch of us in a like log cabin and we're a poor family. And then I mapped it over that and the problems that you would have in a depression or in a dust bowl. And then I did it with cutting bangs. So I, I put the bangs in that scenario. And I think that would be what you would consider mapping. Oh, and then maybe like common phrases from the dust bowl, you may just apply to cutting bangs. Yeah, that it works. It works that way. Like I had a whole monologue of my gr the grandmother going through her generations of cutting bangs and stuff like that. That's what they did. <laughs> so and if it like people see it better or like one time I were I felt like I was always working on my printer and I was like, this is like working on something it's equivalent of working on your car, but it's not as cool. So then I, you write that way. So that's just like one technique that I use to like expand a, a bit. Ooh, it works in sketch. That's where I got it. Do you have any other techniques you could uh, share with us? Uh, that's the only one I can think of. I'm sure as I talk more along, I'll probably like, um, remember comparisons are always good. I try not to use um, what is it? That's like, if this was like this, cause I feel like that's a very obvious way to state something, but if you use it in a hyperbole, hyperbole, is that, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, I think people will know what you're getting at without having to state it. And it feels more effective that way. Oh, if it's almost like more conversational or it comes off more natural. Yeah. Like treating it, 
treating a lightweight subject as if it has it's a very serious death like a like a traumatic experience i think is always kind of like a funny way of treating things yeah that is a really intriguing contrast i'm going to start looking for more in my own material in my own ideas of you even like the avocado one about the stakes heightened so much. I'm actually going to cancel shows for this. And it's almost like the bigger the contrast, maybe the more comedy potential. Yeah. I I guess it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. But like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes, um, if, like if you're a really dirty comic, I feel like it's good to dress really nice. Like... <laughs> I like the yin and the yang. It's yeah. a very nice balance. And I think people like it and it's a way to soften things and get and you can get away with a lot more. Oh yeah, this is um Patrick is saying the avocado joke and callback is great. Um and hearing your thought process is very helpful. Very nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, people are saying they love the avocado bit. Uh Bob Jorgensen said it, he follows you on Twitter and he's crying. Oh, he said, I just followed Sarah on Twitter four minutes ago and I'm crying laughing at the pin tweet. Um, oh, that one. <laughs> that one's probably funny to me now because it's so out of context that if people saw that as my first tweet, they'd be like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> and someone's getting roasted for not um, listening to your album yet. He's like, wait, where's the avocado bit? And now people are roasting him for not knowing your avocado bit. Oh, don't worry, dude. You you just go on the first the first track and you'll be there and you don't have to dig deep for it. It's so it's so good. Like how how did you um how did you decide the order for your set? Well, that one for the order of my set, it's weird because when I was running it at the creek and I thought about it, I split it up into two 25 minute chunks or 220 to 25 minute chunks um because it's easier for me to memorize i have a really hard time memorizing stuff i don't it's like a mental block for me so i find it yucky i don't like doing it so i don't attempt and the only way that i can do it is if i, if I keep doing things over and over again where it becomes a muscle memory but the idea of actively memorizing something is so awful um so I broke it down into two 20, 25 minute chunks. And then I, I could remember it that way. So I could flip them around and I would do that as, as I was running sets in the city, which would help me memorize knowing that I didn't have to have them in that exact order, but if I knew it, then it would make me feel comfortable on stage. So I had, was starting off with my second half as my first half. And then I realized I felt like it might be, it had a lot more weirder and dirtier, like vulgar stuff, maybe, or sex stuff. And I always think, and just as watching stand up throughout the times, everybody usually puts their dirtier or weirder stuff towards the end. Cause you want the audience, especially for an album. And if somebody doesn't know you that well, I think it's good to have them trust you and kind of know what your voice is before you start doing stuff like that. So they know that you're not serious and that you're only making fun of everything. And you don't like, for me, I didn't have, I wanted to, you to not really know what my strong opinion is like hmm. irreverent. <laughs> 
So I think that's why I put the cleaner stuff up front. And then I went with the, um, uh, the dirtier stuff and the weirder stuff towards the end. Yeah, it's almost like you get them on your side and then they'll go wherever you want to go. But if you opened with your closer, that would set a completely different um, <laughs> <Yes>. press <laughs> expectation Some for the set. Some people might turn it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then also from there, it's like hard to follow your observational bits when you've like talked about your genitals or whatever. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'll notice that when I have to follow a certain comics on stage, if they're like, if they're particularly um, vulgar, which is fine because I'm vulgar too, but like to follow that in a different energy and then you're going up there talking about your printer or avocados, then the crowd is like, what? Yeah. Like it takes a while to reset. And so it just makes it very difficult. So I'm like, why would I set myself up for failure in my own set? So I'd, I decided with that to start with the cleaner stuff up front and the more relatable, broader topics. And did you have like um, a set list and are your set lists um, like pen to paper? Are you and your phone? Are they keywords? Are they phrases? How do you do that? Um, my set list, I keep, I, so I have like two notebooks. I have a notebook that I just kind of free write in. Um, and then I have my set list that I actually use probably more often than my actual joke book. And it's just um, all, all the, my sets that I'm working with. And um, I usually flip back. Sometimes I forget a joke. I accidentally drop one as time goes by. And then I get to flip through my set list and be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I should bring that back here or that goes better with this bit now. So yeah, I just, I write the same, even when I know I already have my set list memorized, I write it because it's like a nervous tick before show. It makes me feel better to at least feel like I'm in that mindset to like go up on stage if I write my set list. Yeah, I do every, every show I'm, I'm making a set list. Like even if I know the jokes, it's it, yeah, it just keeps me in that mode of like, I'm not here just killing time. I'm here working on something. Yeah. You, you gotta go up with a little bit of a plan mm. or something to fall back on. I mean, you can go up on the stage and like, you know, start doing crowd work. But like once they start getting settled, you can go as long as you know what you're doing. It kind of makes me feel comfortable. Yeah. And this is um, uh, Stefan saying he loves the new album and your bit about people crying in public is hilarious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a New York thing. <laughs> oh, there's so many good ones. Um, this one actually, and speaking of your bits, this one comes from Liam Harvey. She says, hi, Sarah, love your album. Wanted to know the process behind creating the great umbrella, umbrella bit. Thank you. Oh, yeah. That's another one kind of like it falls in the same mindset of um, avocados, I think. Because I was I I saw the forecast for the day and it said <laughs> it was going to rain. And then so a lot of times in New York, once you leave your apartment, you're gone for 16 hours. Mm -hmm. So I had, I didn't rain. I was carrying this umbrella with me all day long and I kept forgetting it at places. And then, um, I found it to be a burden cause it took away one of my hands. So it was hard to carry a coffee and all this. And then that was another one where you're like, Oh my God, if I can't even handle this and I find this so not fun and unenjoyable, I don't know how I'm going to handle having a child. And so that's how that bit came along as well so it that's another one that i was like this is taking up so much mental real estate for an umbrella 
Um, I like, I cannot believe I'm thinking about this stupid object as much as I am right now. That's so great. Well, one, I, yeah, I loved that bit. I like cackled out loud as I was driving, um, listening to that, just making that connection, you know, um, something seemingly so mundane and then something seemingly like life or death as like a child, you know? So it is, it seems like you're very, how, how do you do it? You're skilled at like, sorry to cut you off there. Um, that's okay. You're, you're very like skilled at like listening to your sense of humor. Almost. It seems like you're, you're honed in on if something is singing to you, like a spidey sense, almost you're, you know, you're onto something like that sense of humor. You're tapped into. It feels like. Yeah, I think, and that's for anybody. And that I feel like this is how you probably develop your own voice is like, I don't, a lot of the times I don't really go for the joke. I'm not thinking of a joke in my head. I think what is best to go on is like go off of a feeling and you're like, why is this bothering me? Why do I find this strange? What is about this thing that is so weird or like, um, like annoying you? Cause you're like, it's so small or stupid. And then from there, like sometimes just the obsessiveness of thinking about something, you're like, obviously this is something very passionate to me right now. And I should probably um, think about why it's in my mind. And then I think that's where I get the joke as I figure out how to write for myself that way. And I think that's a great way of making sure that uh, no one takes your joke because it only works for you. I think mm, when you do mm. stuff like that, it's harder for joke stealing. I think. Yeah, it's like that's the common phrase I've heard is like no one can steal you. Yeah, well, it's like a lot of times people get like um, self conscious about talking about a subject matter that's probably been talked about on stage ad nauseum. But I always say. If it's something that feels really personal to you and it's like in a specific thing that happened to you with this thing, then I say go for it. And it makes it seem it makes that joke stand out different than what everybody else is doing. And it's very like to that person's voice. So I say keep don't worry about like if it's being talked about a lot on stage. Just make sure no one has the same bit. <laughs> yeah. And and finding your voice is something all comics strive for is it when when because 20 years in you know and 12 years seriously but like when did you think or was there a certain bit to where you felt like you were starting to kind of open up a new realm of your comedy and into your voice um well I feel like Twitter helped me out a whole bunch because it was really a place to put thoughts up and not care. Like at first I didn't even understand faves and retweets. Um, so I was just putting all kinds of thoughts up on Twitter and not even in joke format. And then just realizing people had similar um, situations like that. Then I was, then that made me realize, Oh, I, this is probably something I could talk about. So something so niche or niche or whatever, you're like, no, a lot of people know what you're talking about and you can do this. Um, Sometimes on stage it won't hit, but there'll be an audience that likes it and they'll find you once you uh, do that. Uh, but then the, I think I had one bit where I was, I took the train and this guy was like, I don't know, the, the way he approached me was so weird. 
and then I treated it as if it was a real conversation. And I felt like when I did that on stage without doing a setup punchline and just doing bits as dialogue and being just telling the story through my point of view, I felt like that was the first time where I, I was like, I think now I get this. I know how to do this. And that was like a year in when I moved to New York, mm. or I felt more like there's a lot of times, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, oh, I think I get how to do this stand-up thing. And then I do a set and then I'm like, maybe, okay, maybe you don't. <laughs> but I felt like there is a time when you're like, oh, that's very, that is definitely, that's me. And I think I figured it my way of being me on stage without trying really hard. And it felt effortless. That's where that, I had a joke like that, but I didn't do it in my set. <laughs> but yeah, or being in the album. you. Yeah, that is, yeah. that is a good note though of like you weren't going for setup punch you were going for like but what is sarah's point of view here and that really started to crack open that new writing yeah well not that i would ever teach a class but i think sometimes for classes like or just for comedy i think a lot of comics when you first start out you're always thinking about like i need to write a joke i need to write a joke but honestly like haven't you ever had that guy at work or that friend that just tells you their story of what they did that morning and you're laughing hysterically because they're telling you their, what their problem solving skills are in their head or what they're thinking. And you're like, that's so funny. So I remember a lot of times in like New York, I was like, I'm not going to go up and try to write a joke. I'm just going to tell, tell you about my day. And then I felt like that was more satisfying than, and then, finding bits that way than right trying to figure out like what setup punchline can I come up with now yeah I, I definitely started like one-liners first and not way less conversational we just had Kyle Kinane on here and he he mentioned the same thing where he first like learned joke structure and it's kind of like learning the rules before you break them in a sense so it's like yeah but it's that's what I've learned in interviewing over 200 comics is like there's no one way it's like everyone has their own unique way at the end of the day. Yeah. I feel like, like a good example of someone that does that really well is neighbor Gatsy. Like he doesn't really feel like he's giving you a setup punchline. All he's really doing is telling you what is going through his mind. And that's where the jokes come. And that's how, how I feel like where you find out who you are on stage is like, just talk about the weird shit that's going through your mind or your obsessive thoughts. And I think people will relate to you or find it interesting. I love it. And this one actually comes with people relating to you. Um, Lee Hudson, he actually, he's over in um, the UK. So Ooh, he, um, <laughs> I said that so like surprisingly, there's people over there. <laughs> <laughs> He, um, listening. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we do, we do a daily writing club in this Facebook group and he's, he's in here every day as well. So oh, that's great. He, um, he asked, do you and Joe let each other know if one of you is going to do a joke involving the other? Um, not necessarily because we know what our boundaries are and I don't think any one of us has done something. I know certain things to not talk about because it's not my truth or it's more that's Joe's ordeal that he's dealing with. Um, but I will try out stuff without telling him. And then if something works really well that involves him, 
then I'm like, well, then shit, I want this in my set. So I'll let him know. But we've never had any issues. I think in the beginning, I had a joke about I use my boyfriend as a prep premise, but it didn't involve him. But it's so much easier just to say my boyfriend instead of being like two boyfriends ago. Mm, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like no one cares. And you're like, it's just too many words. And so I just like, it's just easier for me to make it the truth at that moment. And he was like, but I didn't do that. I'm like, yeah, I know this is all jokes. Like <laughs> this isn't like a serious thing, but he got over that one. And I don't do it anymore because now it's an old bit. But did you have to establish boundaries or did you have to like cross the line to find it? Have you had that discussion? No, I don't think so. I mean, every now and then, like I think Joe has OCD and there's times where I have it. I find it very annoying to deal with and I want to write jokes about it. But I also don't want him to feel like I hate him because of it. And so... Because sometimes that is the thing that's weird about jokes. They they can come off mean. Mm -hmm. Especially when they're not about, if they're not about you and you're joking about somebody else, like, I don't know, it, 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 can, it can come off mean and I don't want him to think that I'm making fun of him. So I try not to. And uh, Bob Jorgensen asks, can you tell us about your editing process? How do you decide when a joke is edited properly? Um, well, I don't, the thing is sometimes as I was earlier, I've, I'll do a bit and then I try to tag it over and over or keep adding to it on stage. And then, and then <laughs> You will do it so much that you can tell that the audience has lost interest or you lost them. And then that's how I'm like, okay, I'll stop it there. Or sometimes I'll, if I start going too dirty and I feel like I'm getting groans, I'm like, okay, hmm. well, that's not what I'm going for. I'll, I'll tone it down a bit or take out a line. Cause I feel like that's, um, too much, but, um, I usually, I don't really edit. I usually just try to keep adding on. I always joke, I write a premise, I'll write a joke and then I tag it three years later because that can happen too. <laughs> you bring, you're like, oh, I haven't done this joke in a while. You do it on stage and then all of a sudden, because you haven't done it for a while, you thought of a new thing about it. And then you're like, wow, I just added to it. Now it's a new joke again. And will you, when it comes to editing, will you like record your set and then like review it? Are you disciplined in that? practice i try i'll listen to a set i like i the reason why i record a set is because sometimes you'll have this happen you'll have a joke that's working really really well on a consistent basis for a while and then all of a sudden out of the blue it stopped working so then i have to go back and listen to when it was working and figure out what i was doing differently to what I'm doing now. Uh -huh. Every now and then it's because you dropped a phrase. You just, I naturally drop stuff and it's not because I do it on purpose. It just happens. You forget about it. And then that's why you got to listen. You got to go back and listen. Yes. The, the work that people don't see in comedy, is that like yeah. writing recording, reviewing, performing. It's just like people just think sometimes it's just a magic trick 
Yeah. No, you're like, yeah, you're constantly, I mean, I'm always working on the wordage on stage. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that wasn't like, I have a bit right now about throwing and it's not on the album, but it bothers me that it'll work sometimes and it doesn't work now or at all the time about the idea of throwing trash into space. And so I always am like, every time I try it, I always try different angles with it or pair it with another bit or maybe use it as a, like a, an emphasis for another joke or something. How do you find, cause I like uh, a lot of people do try to do edgier or dirtier material. And you mentioned how sometimes you get too many groans and you have to dial it back. How do you find that sweet spot that still makes like a, a dirty joke still like palatable? Um, well, I always say, say everything with a smile. Ooh. You'll get away with, um, you'll get away with murder if you're charming or with a positive attitude, I think. Just think of like, isn't it crazy sometimes you could do it. Two different people can do almost the same kind of material, but one is seen as dirtier than the other. And I think a lot of the times it, it is on the delivery or the, your demeanor on stage or maybe how you're dressed or, I mean, there's so many factors, but I feel like, um, yeah, it's, it's just like, I think it just depends on like how you say it. Um, but I don't want to gross out anybody, but you can actually work with a groan. Sometimes if you get a groan, it causes tension and then you can figure out a line to release that tension with the groan. And then that can make the, the groan worth it. Huh? You, like, almost... you know, sometimes like a crowd is like, Oh, and then sometimes that feeling you're like, well, I don't want them. To... I feel like I hit a nerve with them. And then you can take that, um, tension and then you can use it to your advantage and either have a quip to come off of that or not oh right and react to the groan almost have a tag off of the groan yeah it's a good it's a way to like you know turn the room around sometimes you could make feels like you're about to lose them with a bit and you get a groan and i feel like if you have that happen you should kind of figure, and you want to still push through that bit, you should figure out a way to use that groan to your advantage and figure out a thing to say after that to deflate the moment and then get back into the bit again or something. But it's a great way to get one extra laugh, I think. So you shouldn't really be that afraid of a groan. You just don't want to, I, like some people are like, a groan is just as good as a laugh. And I, I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it doesn't feel as good to me. Yeah, I, I like, it's a reaction though. So they're not texting or tweeting. So they're still listening and invested, but yeah. Yes, yeah. But so like, that is true. So if you have them listening, just try to deflate it. And that'll be a great way to get an extra laugh or you'll keep go, go down another tangent or something. Oh, that is gold. Well, let's... um. Let's go ahead and get ready to land this plane. We do. We're um we're trying something different here with you, Sarah. This is our first time trying this, but we're actually going to bring in a, a member of the Hot Breathiverse here. She's a huge fan. She sure. actually um we do a daily writing contest. She just did a three peat. She just won three days in a row this past weekend, and um 
She's listened to her album like three times. She said, and I just thought it would be a perfect opportunity just for y'all to connect, you know, comic to comic. So um, let's welcome to the show here. We have Amanda. Her Facebook name is Amanda O, everyone. So let's welcome. Let's see if we can get her in here. Amanda O. And then let me pull up this other. Ah! (laughs) Did it work? So intense. Oh my goodness. You're in a comedy club. Oh my hey. God. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm, at, I'm in New York. I'm at the cellar. No. Do they know? I love that. <laughs> I just snuck in. They had the key under the mat. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Well, welcome, um, Amanda. Please like ask away, Thank say you. hey, whatever you want to do. This is your time. Awesome. Hi, Sarah. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Um, so I'm like a stand-up newbie um but I listened to your album at least like three times like I just love it it's really really awesome um and then I had a joke like you talked a little bit about your comedic voice how would you personally describe your comedic voice um I guess maybe a little dry or irreverent I try not to I try to make fun of both sides or like keep it even the darker stuff a little bit on the lighter side, not like a lecturing thing. Cause I just don't have the chops for that to be like a strong opinion and then have to defend it. I, Cause I feel like you have to know your subject matter and I only read headlines and a little bit of the article. So I try not to, but I, I, I guess anecdotal are things that um, throughout your day-to-day life where you're like, why is this making me feel weird? And then try to figure out why and like, or your obsessive thoughts or any weird thinking that you have. I think that's how you get your point of view across. Awesome. Um, And then how do you go about uh, joking about touchy subjects like religion or something like without offending most people? I know I never want to offend too much. I mean, some comics love to, but um and they're if they're they're really good at it uh I again like I try to keep it like as simple as possible and I also say like I do think saying things with a smile or letting the audience know that you're like dude we're just here to have fun and this is like if you can't joke about the serious stuff then I mean it just makes life a lot easier than I don't know what to say to you you know like yeah that's how I try to treat it like I try in my mind, I try not to give it weight. Like just act like it's like, if you're talking about um, a subject matter that's dark or heavy or maybe very personal, just treat it as if it's another, a joke about, um, you know, day-to-day observations or something like that. Like you don't care, just push through and this is what you're talking about and don't give anybody the weight to make you feel bad about it. That's, that's a good way to think about it too. Cause I, I've been thinking about how to joke about things that are like more that are personal, but maybe may come across as offensive, like the touchy subjects like religion and race. But I love that, that you have like a, like a, that you, like you said, you say it with a smile and that you have like a positive outlook so that maybe people won't take it offensive. Right. Cause at the end of the day, it is a joke, you know? Yeah. And you're like, I'm just trying to, I don't, feel like my point of view is right but this is how I feel about it and I think this is like this is the silly part about like the religion or any darker side or whatever like zeitgeist issues happening right now that's on the serious side like 
I mean, there's so many funny things about stuff that I feel like you should be able to joke about it. And it's your, it's your right, especially if it's your issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I, you were talking a lot about your writing, which is really cool. Um, I just wanted to know what would you say is your writing process in general? Like, do you just go based on inspiration or do you force yourself to write all the time? Well, I'd like to say I would be one of those guys that sit down and write for hours and then they just produce so much material that way, but it doesn't come to me that way. I don't think I've ever had a bit organically work out or come to me by just free writing. I don't, it's not that I think that doesn't work. And I think that works for a lot of comics and there's a lot of great comics that actually do that, that produce a lot more material than I do. But for me, I don't know. It's really weird. I write more in the shower. I write while I'm doing dishes. I love doing day-to-day um, -day stuff like errands. I, it allows me, I think your mind is more relaxed because you're not worried about important shit. You're just doing like mindless activities. Um, I tend to, I think I have obsessive thoughts. So it naturally comes to me to like think of moments that you know, even years ago that bothered me. I'm like, why is this bother me? And then I think of a joke to make myself feel better about it. Like I had, I remember I had that bit about, um, I had to go to the hospital and it was so annoying that I spent so much money for having colitis. And then I was like, how funny that I just spent, that was like the most expensive diarrhea ever. And that bit came to me while doing the dishes. <laughs> like I was like, oh, collide. Yeah, it was just like really expensive diarrhea um, that cost me like $20,000. And I was like, that's so fucking funny to me that that diarrhea cost that much money. Um, and so th all those bits and then like the um, Marie Kondo, I was like, why is it so, why is everybody so fascinated with Marie Kondo? And I'm like, isn't it really interesting that she's an Asian woman that came over here and she's telling us to throw stuff out, even though in uh, culture in Asia, they make a lot of the products that we buy that we consume. And I just thought it was so funny to think of like we, all of the stuff that we're buying is from Asia. And then, then we have an Asian lady being like, throw it out. And I was like, Oh my God, what if the, I was doing the dishes and I was like, why is this, why is that so weird? And then I was like, it'd be weirder if an American lady went over there and told them to buy crap. Like, so I just put, I flipped the script on that one. And th like all of those came from like driving, but a lot of stuff just comes from, um, I find that I write when I'm hanging out with friends and my mind is relaxed and I'm having a really good time. And you like podcast, you know, how you start talking about like weird stuff on podcasts. Like that's a great way for mining material as well of because you're sharing your thoughts. And then also when you're having a conversation, um, people ask you questions about this incident that takes you down a road that you probably wouldn't have even thought about if you were thinking about it on your own. So that's how I write. And then when I say, I'll say something in a conversation, I'm like, oh, I like that. I'll put it on Twitter to help me remember it. And then I'll see how it goes. And then if it does well, I'll try it on stage. That's cool. That's good advice. I feel like the friends one at first, I need to have friends. So I'll, I'll do that. Oh, um, start a podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or hang out with other comics. Like all yeah. my friends are comics. So just go to the mic. You start meeting people that think the same way. And then, uh, you, you do just naturally shoot the shit and you share your bits with people or 
sometimes you'll do an open mic and then somebody's like, I really like that bit. I think um, that's got legs to it. And then it's something that you never even thought about. And then they tell you to do it on stage and you do it and it'll work. So like, just hang out at mics, make, you're just naturally going to make friends there. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll start to do that. Um, yeah. And then my last thing was, do you have, um, like, oh, by the way, I the that Marie Kondo bit is my favorite one. And I also love the ASAP one. That one oh, I've been laughing you. about for a while. Um, <laughs> but do you have any, like, advice for, like, a new, new starting comic? Like, what is that one piece of advice you would give to someone who's new? And maybe even, like, especially women, because I feel like sometimes there's not really a lot of women that are on the scene. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not really coming through town headlining. So, you know, there's only like, I think it seems like eight that actually work the road on a consistent basis. So you're really not going to see much. So I just say like, you form, you form your scene, just get your tight seven minutes in whatever town that you're from. And if you're really enjoying it, I think you should move. I say New York, but you can do both. There's no right way, I think. It's just like how much you wanna make make it work. But I always say, um, right, just keep creating stuff, getting up on stage as much as you can, because that's where you're gonna do most of your writing, I think, is on stage and that's how you tighten your set. And then you'll just make friends and it'll make you feel more comfortable on stage. Cause I felt like as soon as I made comedic, uh, friends that were comedians and I felt better on stage because I never really cared about what the crowd thought I just wanted comics to like me mm -hmm. so that's a good motivator and then I for me that worked out really great is like you know to get your voice seen really you really should just be like creating stuff and putting it online because we're online like 24 7 it's like a cocktail party it's a great way for a lot of people that wouldn't get to see you see you and it's a a good community. I know a lot of people hate Twitter, but I, if you learn to mute it and just treat it as a joke machine and gauge off of doing stuff like that, or writing sketches and putting videos up, like that's such a great way for people to see you rather than like, it's harder to go do live stuff, like, and get a huge audience base, but you can like r really find a community by like putting your ideas up on online, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I'm from, I'm from Connecticut. So there's not like a lot <laughs> around here. Um, but the online thing has been great. That's why I love hot breath. And I love this community because it's great to get the online thing. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. Thank you. Yeah. Know, like, but a lot of like uh, relationships and jobs that I've gotten, I, I would say it's probably been more because of online content than it has been with stage content you just want that way when you just want to work on stage because you want to re get really good that way when things start opening up for you like opportunities you have a really killer live set and that you could start making money and it'll just like everything will just like meet up at the right time and it'll just probably explode so I say you work on both of those avenues so they eventually like meet up thank you that's that's really helpful advice I appreciate that yeah, definitely. Awesome. Oh, that was so cool. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, I like, I just want things easier for everybody else that started because I felt like I had no idea what to do. And then like social media opened up and I thought felt like it really opened the doors for me. And so I, 
I've tried to figure out ways that are like faster and easier so you don't waste your time. <laughs> yeah, that's what this whole yeah. this whole show started as in this now online community is it's like me being 10 years in, some people in the community maybe have only done stand-up once, but it's just like, what did I wish existed when I started comedy? And just trying to give people the resources and information to then go put it to work, you know? Yeah. I mean, nowadays it's like, it feels like a lot more work, but you can really create your own avenue in that, you know, if you don't really get seen by industry, you could probably have a really great fan base and still make a really great living doing this. And honestly, if industry sees that you're pulling in money, somebody's going to want to take advantage of that. So I just always say, keep creating for yourself and doing that, you know, doing stuff that you enjoy. And I think people will like, it's kind of like the law of attraction that people will come to you. I love that. Uh, Amanda, was there anything else you had for Sarah? Um, real quick, you mentioned New York. I, I mean, I'm from Connecticut. New York is closer. Is there a reason why you, like, you prefer New York over LA? I just think that there is so much stage time here and it's going to be frustrating. It's a lot of it feels really bad and you're going to travel a lot, but you can really like you can bomb in obscurity here without industry really paying attention to you where I think in LA, it sounds like a industry, a lot of industry can be in some of these shows that you're going to be on that might, you might go up a little too early and it is weird. It's like, if you don't do well, they kind of remember and it's, it's unfair to base you off of one set. And I feel like in New York, you can just, experiment and kind of figure out who you are a little bit and, and be in the community more. And I, I just feel like you just got, you got to move to one of the bigger cities because I mean, in, people are lazy. They'd rather just go look in their backyard for talent than like go around the country and figure it out. And then you're going to get most of your work from comics rather than industry. And it's from them. That's, um, hyping you up is what's going to get you work. So I, I say surround yourself with talented people. Mm. Gold. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Amanda. I'm so thank glad you. we were able to do this. Thanks for asking yeah, those great questions. You. People are yeah, cheering you on. A lot of people saying, yeah, Amanda, and giving you applause. And... <laughs> yeah. Moved to New York. But and things are opening up. We have a lot of outdoor shows now. So. Oh, really? Um, and rent's probably going to be coming down. So I'd say take advantage in the next few months if we have our shit together with the pandemic. Yeah. Good I'll advice. see. I'll see. I would love to. New York is awesome. Thank you so much for, yeah, for answering course. questions and chatting. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. Absolutely, anytime. Amanda. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for hanging out. All right. Let's get back. We're going to land this plane here now. Okay. Um, She's uh... a. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Sorry, this is like Zoom exits are always awkward. Oh, I know. I try to hold the smile the whole time. <laughs> yeah, this this is our first time experimenting with that, so that was I'd say a great success. Yeah, that's fun. So, um, just in in closing here, do you um, well first, where can people get your album, support your album, and any anything else you have going on as well? Um. You, you can get it anywhere. It's on all like the, you know, it's on Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon play, Google play or all that stuff. 
um, you can get it there. And then I'm always wanting my Instagram to build. So follow me at, at Stalmash or Twitter. It's the same handle, S-T-O-L-L-E-M-A-C-H-E. Awesome. And you're, yeah, we'll be sure to link to, um, cause you have a great link that links to all the different places you can get the album. We'll be sure to share that in the description of this episode. Cause it's, what was interesting is you, you talked about, uh, the label approaching you and you said 800 pound, but is that connected with laugh button? Are they like kind of one in the same now? Yeah, I think they're one in the same. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I saw it was on laugh button records. So are they, when you go with a record versus independent, like, is it uh, because it debuted at number one on iTunes and like all these these great things? Like, what do, what is like the perk of like a label versus uh, independent? Um. Well, so the perk for doing independent, you get you don't have to do any you don't have to pay for advance, but there's probably some money that's going to come out of your pocket, but mm -hmm. it'll be under your control. Um. The thing that I liked about Eight Hundred Pound Gorilla is or Laugh Button is that they're they're they did they'll do research on you like do, they look at your analytics or like instagram and that stuff and see where your demographic is um and then they know and when they listen to your album and all that stuff they kind of know what like serious playlist that you can get on or what pandora stations that would be good for you that would um more people that would you would hit hard and then people would share or like and so they're good with algorithms and doing the market research and like promoting and doing all that hard stuff for you that I think if you did it on your own, you know, like you could probably put it out, but it might not hit as strong or make any income, but it'll just be something that'll feel good for yourself. Ah, uh, yeah. So that number one debuting at number one, which, uh, Bob asked, do you now have a blood feud with weird Al since you knocked him out of first place? <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew I wasn't going to last at number one that long. First of all, it's like um, Jim Gaffigan dominates. He's, and, yeah. and I know he's got like 10 <laughs> albums and they're all in the top 10 or 20. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's really weird. So I did research and I'm not saying, I don't know, but there's only three women about in the top 200 and two are, it's, Two belong to Kathleen Madigan. Huh. So it's just like really interesting for some reason. It feels like there's not a lot of female comics on the album circuit, or maybe people don't like to hear her voices. No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, what's happening there? But uh, that is something that I noticed. Um, so I knew I knew I wasn't going to last on there that long. But when you set it up as a pre-order, like when you go with the record label it helps you jump to number one which helps you get pushed up at the algorithms and like sell it easier and all that stuff ah so set it up as a pre-order so then when it's released it like surges and you can get higher yes. ranks smart i from some reason we were, i was talking about with some other comics i think in order to get like number one you only have to sell like 60 copies that day hmm so if you just sell slightly more than Jim Gaffigan that day, you will hit number one for about 10 minutes and then he'll knock you off. But you can forever say number one iTunes album, <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah, for oh, sure. That's awesome. Awesome. You just want you just want that screenshot and then you can post it up and then your friends from high school think you're great. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, they're doing it. Look. Yeah. <laughs> 
That dream did come true. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, people Yeah, people really appreciate you doing this. And um, yeah, a lot of people thanking. And yeah, this this has been amazing, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking the time to share all such yeah. valuable information. Um, of course. Yeah, I'm a, definitely comics. You should definitely go get Sarah's album. It's absolutely hilarious. And you'll add a lot of context to the things we got to talk about today. So go forth and your podcast as well. Go listen to your podcast, right? Yeah, Vag Podcast with Adrian Appalucci. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, um, is there any closing comedy advice, anything you've gathered over your years of experience that you have found most helpful that you could in- close us with here? Uh, well, lately, so sometimes I feel like um, if you have goals, like I want to be on SNL or I want to be a late night writer or something like that. I think those are goals that are like maybe a little bit beyond your control and it might not work out that way. So I think what you should, your goal should be more um, based in instead of like, what is something that you can do that can get you to SNL or what is something that you can do that can get you to late night is focus on that goal rather than that end goal. So be like, I'm going to write five new characters and I'm going to put them online. That is my goal for this year. Or I'm going to write a joke every day or every hour about what's going on in the news. Because I feel like that'll make you feel better. You've hit your goal. That is something that you can control. And then I guarantee you the other stuff will happen and you will get work that way rather than being like, focusing on the prize you should focus on the work Mm. amen could not have said it better focus on it'll make you happier yeah were you wanting to get on snl and then something you had to like move on from yeah i did i wanted i wanted i i felt like i got close one year i submitted a packet and then as and now it's like my sixth year of submitting and i feel like it's not happening So I was like, um, instead of being upset about not getting that and that happens and it's a very hard goal to make. Um, and it doesn't say anything less about your skill set. Um, so what I decided instead of doing that, I decided I'm going to make a sketch for my own Instagram at least once a month. So I started my own film festival to give me a deadline and I feel like that's made me feel better because like, even when you write a packet, so you didn't make it. So why are you just sitting on these sketches that never got made? Like you should go out and create stuff for your own Instagram and the, then people will see it. And then you can like live off those likes and shares at least from that. And that'll make you feel better. <laughs> <Live off the likes. laughs> Who knows? I mean, we just had Sam J on here and she had never written a sketch and now she's a writer on SNL. Like, I don't know what the rhyme or reason to anything out of our it's- control. It is. It's like, you know, you could be the it person for industry or that time where you had a rock and set at Montreal and they just give you the job. And then other people are like grinding, writing sketches all the time. And then you're just, you're never making anything. You're just creating packets for these like conglomerates that don't make it free. So why are you writing stuff for other people? You should write stuff for yourself. Boom. Cause at least you can get that made. I love it. Focus on the work and not the prize. I love that. Awesome. Yeah, people are saying they're going to go check out Dina 
on your uh, podcast. A lot of people commented about that. Oh, Dina Hashem, she's great. She's a great joke writer as well. Very nice. Well, I love this. You're a great joke writer as well, and you're. Thank you so much that we learned a lot today. So we really appreciate your time, oh, Sarah. Thanks. Of course, I love talking comedy. I like nerding out. <laughs> that's that's this whole show. That's his whole show. Yeah. It's just nerding out about comedy. Um, we we had Joe on a few years ago when um he was here in Atlanta for the Red Clay Festival. So when his special comes out, we'll definitely circle back with him. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It we comes just out love this it. Thursday. <laughs> it comes out this Thursday. Yeah, on comedy on YouTube on Comedy Central uh, YouTube channel oh. at nine p.m. EST. Oh snap! Yeah, well then, yeah, definitely go check out Joe's special. Yeah, well then we'll, yeah, we'll follow up with him about that. I didn't realize it was that soon, but all right. Yeah. Very nice. Well, thank you for doing this, Sarah. This has been absolutely amazing. Go listen. Go get Sarah's album, everyone. And uh, we will see you next Monday right here on Hot Breath. There you go, hot brethren and sistren. Go into the description. Check out Sarah's album. You will not be disappointed. You may have also heard me mentioning Ecamm as the program I use to live stream. If you'd like to get 10% off and also use our affiliate link to help support the show, go into the description and click that. Give it a trial. It's been a game changer for all the writing clubs and Q&As and different types of live streams I've been doing in the Facebook group, which if you're not a member, while you're in the description of this show, go join the group and start connecting with me and over a thousand other like-minded comics from around the world. So every Monday we're releasing podcasts, but every day we're in that Facebook group learning from each other and comics like Sarah. We're also on our YouTube page as well if you want to see the video version of this. But let's get out of here. I'll see you in that Facebook group, and I thank my wife at the end of all these episodes, by the way. So over 200 interviews later, still thanking my wife. So thank you, dear for making the theme song and making all this possible. And now, until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.